Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sam Dever Podcast, episode 52. In this episode, I speak with actor, director, and producer, Kenny Yates. I met Kenny while attending Playhouse West, and it was a really an amazing experience having him on this podcast. I mean, even before we began recording, he came in with like this great enthusiastic energy. He had ideas for the podcast, what we should do. He says we should have mugs. I agree. <laughs> he will be one of the first to get one. And he's just a pro when it comes to being on camera and bringing his best self. Uh, and he's been in the business a long time. And it was really cool to listen to his journey of him coming out to L.A. to where he's at now. And we talked about a lot in the podcast about his feature film directing debut with a film called Rebroken which we will put the link in the description or information on how to watch it down below. But he crushed it. He did an incredible job. Him, the cast, the crew, everyone involved. It's amazing. I got a chance to see it. Uh, I highly recommend checking it out. And I, I'm really excited to where he's going to take his whole entertainment career. And the book of the episode, this is another one I'm recycling, but it's Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. I bring this book up not only because... Kenny's in the entertainment business, but also because he had brought this book up during the podcast. And this is just a phenomenal book, whether you're into acting and entertainment or not. Matthew McConaughey, he writes this like a movie. And if you even read the book in his voice, it, it just makes it just really entertaining. So Green Lights, Matthew McConaughey. If you want to listen to the podcast, be sure to follow it on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to watch it, Go to youtube.com slash at the Sam Dever podcast and be sure to subscribe. And here's my conversation with Kenny. Kenny Yates, welcome to the Sam Dever podcast. Thanks, man. It's great to be here. Finally. Is this surreal? Like, it is. And, and you told me you were a fan. You had listened before. Yeah, and, like, yeah. I, and now you're here. And I, man, I'm a fan of you. So this is great. Just before I came, I rewatched the I just rewatched uh, Nick Osborne's uh, podcast uh, podcast with you. Amazing. Love that guy. So man, great. Nick Osborne, he's he's just like a man of mystery, <laughs> a global a global icon. Yeah, right. Uh, he, he pops up on your Instagram, and he's in Italy, and then he, he's now he's here, and, and he doesn't post he does often. Wine thing. I said met him at a wine thing. He was doing a wine thing, and he was like telling me about the wines, and it was wait, when was this? It was like I don't know, like uh, November of last year. I don't really? can't remember, but it was great. Wow. And I'm sure he knew about it too. He like, did. He, he knew. He, he knows he everything. Did. Yeah, he's a cultured man. Nick Osborne, shout out to you. Shout out, Nick. Good yeah. to see you. Yeah, how have you been, man? It's been, been great, man. Keeping busy. You know, keeping busy. Yeah. Uh, I try to, I, I've adopted this um, this phrase, I'd rather be stressed than depressed. And I think I talked to our, our Eric buddies about it, too. Oh. Uh, Jorgensen yeah. and Sarich about, like, I'd rather, like, take on too much where I'm like stressed out that I have all these things I got to do then not do anything. And I get like in this weird depressed state where like, like I, I have to stay busy or I can't, I, I'm not my normal self. Like I'm no, I feel like I'm my normal self when I don't have time to like process too much. That might be a bad thing. That is so that crazy. That's thing. That's so, I'm, I'm not joking. And this is the first time you telling me that like, I didn't word it like that wording's genius, by the way. I thought that same exact thing and I said it to somebody because I, I, my saying lately has been, what's the alternative? Yeah. So if you're not going to get busy and work on movies and do things that you're doing, well, what else are you going to do? You're just not going to do that. Yeah. 
and just going to sit there. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and yeah, the other way is stressful, but I, I, I feel you like the depressive states. It's like a good stress though, where it's like, yeah. I'd rather be stressed in something that I want to be doing. Like pile it on, like let's figure out a way to get it all or as much of it yeah. done or at least look good trying. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I've tried, I've tried those phases of like trying not doing a lot mm-hmm. in every single time, man. And I, I think kind of mean talk with Nick about that. Like, it's just in you. It's just yeah. in you. And when you're not doing it, you don't feel like yourself. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. you just feel like ah, something's off. <laughs> like I got to let me get thrown back into chaos again. Yeah. I would prefer it. Like, yeah. It's stay busy. Stay yeah. busy. And I have been, which is good. Yeah. You have been. Well, let's just get right to it, man. Yeah. We broke it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about it. Because <laughs> I just watched it. Okay, good. Dude. Incredible. Good, man. That's like, great. I'm glad you liked it. I don't want to give anything away yeah. about it. I want people to watch it and see it. But man, I love movies like that. Just how it all. <laughs> yeah. You got to watch the whole thing. I'll put it that way. Yeah, and for it, sure. it, It's very, very well done, man. That, Thanks, man. Well I appreciate done. that. How did that all come about? Well, <laughs> it's honestly, so I thought about, so I, I coming here, I knew we were going to talk about some stuff. Mm-hmm. And I thought about like sort of the big picture. I don't know. Cause I like, I was thinking ahead a little bit mm-hmm. and I'm not saying I was planning what I was going to say, but like I started to reflect a little bit on myself mm-hmm. and reflect about my journey and how I got to places and how I got to things. And I really started to realize about how taking advantage of an opportunity mm. is probably going to be the overarching topic of our conversation because I was just sort of going through journals and trying to understand where I am and where I was. Mm. So like Rebroken was truthfully, uh, the opportunity to direct it was uh, a long line of series of events that started way back, or at least I could trace it way back to when I started doing acting as a kid and stuff like that. Wow. But more recently, like I, I it was a, an opportunity I got through my producing partner. His name's Kip Tribble, mm-hmm. fantastic guy. You should have him on this podcast. He's in the to. movie, right? He's, he's acting. In, yeah, yeah, he was great. He's Brian. He plays like the cop guy. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, you should have him on the podcast. Like, yeah, absolutely. He, so he's, you know, he's kind of like one of those sort of, um, he never stops working. He's like a go-getter type of uh, independent filmmaker that is like, he's just, he just goes after it. And he's going to do it no matter what. And he's made, him him and I have made 12 movies in the last two years. Wow. Like in some producing capacity. And uh, so he, he uh, I met him through a couple of movies and we started working together and he knew I wanted to direct and I'm a director actor. And then I met um, his, uh, the guy who's the lead in that movie, Scott Ham. Yeah, he was real good. He, uh, through working on a movie called Evil at the Door that mm. our boy Eric worked on. Oh, wow. And um, Everything's connected. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> talk, I'm telling you about yeah. how everything's connected and taking advantage of an opportunity. And um, and so I met Scott, and Scott's one of the producers, and he he got the funding for it. And I told him, look, give me an opportunity to direct anything, and I'll do it. Wow. So that's how that kind of came about. So mutual uh, colleagues kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, you know, I'm curious to hear more about your how it all began with mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. It's funny because, like, when people – 
see things when they come out like it to them it's like oh an overnight sensation but it's like how many years of work yeah and experiences and networking and Look, did you have to go through to get to that moment exactly. of opportunity where you had that confidence like look give me the opportunity to do it and you crushed it dude thanks man you crushed it thank man. you and, and I, I hope i can give this part away like in the beginning it's a, a film by kenny yates yeah <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. i wanted to get that in there it it's feels, a great intro it too. feels like a real thing yeah it says that look i and i have a problem with like celebrating my own accomplishments Mm -hmm. i'm a really i'm really bad at giving myself credit for anything i don't think it's like where i wanted the move like fully like i don't think i've it was as good as i i i probably wanted it to be it's a great movie Mm -hmm. go see it rent it thank you it's out now but like I still like want it to be even more and I still want to push more. So I don't like, mm-hmm. even when I say like I put on a film by Kenny Yates, it makes me feel all cringy inside. I get cringe feelings like, oh, why would I do that? Like, I don't know, but I wanted to, I don't know. It felt cool when, yeah. I, when I saw it. We had a screening and it felt cool to see it up on the big screen. Well, you should be extremely proud of it. And it's like, man, it's such a, well, I'm going to have to watch it multiple times. All right. After I, you we'll know. wait till, you know, we can rent it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. You can rent it and buy it anywhere. You Where are people going to be able to get it? We'll just get that out of the way now. Uh, um, so, um, you know, depending on when, uh, you know, we're recording this a little bit before it yeah, comes out. Yeah. So so it, it's released. It's releasing on March 7th. So if you're listening after March 7th, it's already out. Yeah. And it's going to go to video on demand places. So like anywhere you can rent or buy a movie mm. digitally oh, to awesome. start. And then um, as of the this recording, you know, we're still trying to push it to like streaming, like uh, subscription-based streaming services. But we've got a good distributor, Gravitas, uh, took it on for us. So we're it's getting out through them. So hopefully it gets out to more people. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing about, I mean, you've made the movie, but I mean, just the pure business side of everything. Yeah, man. That's right. still something I'm learning big time. Big yeah. time. I'm learning a lot from my... Uh, producing partner and friend Kip for mm-hmm. sure. He's been through the, he's been through a lot of stuff with uh, when it comes to distribution companies and has a lot of great connections and he's really a great resource and really teaching me a lot. And uh, that was me when I met up with him. I worked on a movie called Reboot Camp, which was like a mockumentary style movie. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to him and uh, I told him I I truthfully as much experience as I have being on sets. I have zero experience in the business side and mm-hmm. I really want to like work with you and understand it from an independent filmmaking perspective and just sort of grow so I can sort of understand what it's actually like. You know, there's one thing, there's like two types of producers. There's a whole bunch, but really there's like two types. There's like a super creative type who has nothing or no, has no idea. A lot of times it's the a- an actor who has no idea what the business side or mm-hmm. like actually the paperwork and the ones and twos and getting it distributed and getting it sold and what the budget means and all that stuff type mm-hmm. of producer. And then there's the creative type. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I was that on set person and I totally understood every sort of gig on set and what it was like to be on sets. I didn't actually understand what it meant to take on the stresses of the budget and the paperwork and the getting it through SAG and getting it to distribution, getting it sold what it meant to cast, what it meant to have all these parts. And um, he's really helped me get an opportunity, again, an opportunity to like learn that from him, which is I'm super grateful for. I'm grateful for everybody who tolerated me over the years. <laughs> we'll get to that too. Yeah, we'll get to that. Now, um, question, how long, so that move, how long did it take that movie from beginning to end? Um, when, when you guys had the idea or when you came on board? Yeah. 
to it being complete. So it was an interesting process on this one. So um, so to kind of give a backstory about like how the how Kip works, my producing partner, there's like we're kind of adopting like a Duplass Brothers style of movie making, which is uh, I don't want to like categorize what type of movies or shows he yeah. makes because he makes a lot of things and they do a lot of stuff and they're a great production company. Uh, but it's just that sort of um, uh, working on a smaller budget and kind of just working as getting it made, getting something that you feel comfortable in the script and story made in a, in a very uh, tight, small budget and getting it out and then just kind of doing the next one and doing the next one and doing the next one and keep getting a, an accumulation of all these products mm. that ho ultimately one will sort of bite and work and catch on. And uh, so the so the speed at which this project came together is going to sound lightning quick, and so I met with Kip and Scott probably about a month before we started prepping, and the script was in a bullet point phase. It was in like a it was like in a treatment. So in a month, Kip and wrote a script. We gave him notes. We amended the script. Got it to a point to where we felt comfortable we could shoot. And then in two weeks we prepped, and then we shot it in seven days. Seven days? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we shot it in seven days. Uh, we had like uh, like half a day for for like pickup shots and things, so it was kind of like seven and a half days. And then we kind of had a one year post production, or that's not true, a little bit less than a year because when we when we got distribution, the distribution deal it was like almost exactly a year. So from some start to finish, it was about a year and a month. For that whole process which huh. was crazy like the shooting we've shot like a couple of movies now they're like seven days eight days and i'll i think i've reached my limit on seven or eight day <laughs> movie shoots but well yeah it's uh but it was a fast 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 process fast turnaround but it was a lot of fun and uh yeah i'm i'm super stoked with how it came out for how little time and how much how little money we had mm. like uh, my dp had a interesting He's a really cool guy, really good friend of mine. Uh, had an interesting way of saying it. Like, we 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 punch outside of our weight class when it comes to what we can do with the money we have in the amount of time we have. Mm. So, I'm happy about how it turned out for that reason. Yeah. Well, now that you know, now that I'm, well, I have to shout out Eric Jorgensen. He was in the yeah, movie. he was. And it was funny. <laughs> I remember because that's when him and I were still in this apartment. And I had yeah. my leg surgeries and all that. Yeah, I remember man. when he was going to be in that for you. So to like see it, like it was such as a good, I'm like, oh, that's what he went and did. <laughs> yeah. I'm so grateful for him for that. Yeah. We needed some people there and he came in and he was locked in. And he also, he got a friend to donate some artwork for the oh, movie. Wow. So all the, there's a lot of paintings in uh, Vaughn's campsite. Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember him and telling. Kind of all over the place. That's what that was. Yeah, his buddy. Um, I think his name was uh, Tony, but I might be wrong on that. But I don't know the name, but I, I do remember. But he donated a lot of artwork for us to put in the background, and it worked perfectly. So I'm so grateful. He really helped out tremendously, Eric. Uh, shout uh, out to Eric. Yeah. And so okay, so you you're reading the script. Like, what were, were you like seeking out to direct something? Like, well, I'm sure you've always wanted to, but and you have, but like. What was it about it, about this project? Like, I got to direct this. I think it was an opportunity. Just the, op like, you yeah. just knew that you could be the person. To yeah, do I, um, 
It was when working on Evil at the Door, which was a movie that we made in four nights, by four the way. Four nights, wow. Ask Eric, he was there. How many cups of coffee did you have on that one? Oh, yeah, tons, <laughs> tons. That messed us up big time schedule-wise. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, it was, I was DPing that and producing and acting in it. And um, it was a real learning lesson for me. And the thing I took away from it was that idea of perfection that I had to like present something that was perfect and do something that was perfect that, that limited me before. I really chiseled away at that that sort of, um, I don't want to say shield because shield is something that protects you, but something that, um, what's something that like, like negatively protects you? You know what I mean? Like mm. something that stops you. Like it was like a barrier, right? That right. idea of perfection. Right. I chiseled away at that, that sort of barrier with that movie because mm. We had no time, we had no money, and um, my name was on it as a DP and a producer, and I had to be, I had to get real comfortable real quick with the idea that it wasn't gonna be perfect, and not every shot was gonna be masterpiece, right? Mm. So when that we finished that, and I got an opportunity to direct Rebroken, I was like, yeah, I'll take it. And it doesn't have to be, it's gonna be my directorial feature debut, but it doesn't have to be something that I'm, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be absolutely perfect. I'm going to make the best movie I can with the opportunity, with the budget, with the script, with the time that I have available. And that was that was it. So really, I mean the script was good too. So yeah. and we and we morphed it a whole bunch in the cut, which was great. And uh and um so it turned out a lot better than I was uh, like expecting it to. And so like, I just made the best of that opportunity and it was an opportunity that I wasn't gonna pass up. You ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready. Grand slam, my friend. Hey! <laughs> That's a shout out to Denny's, I think. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is not sponsored by Denny's at Not all. yet. Not yet. <laughs> But we're open by the to way, it. By the way, you gave me a free, I hope it's free, maybe you'll send me an invoice, uh, creative consulting uh, for the podcast. We need mugs. Yeah, we need... this is the Sandover <laughs> podcast right here. So you can just look in the camera and take a sip. <laughs> yeah. You should like put hats on every person who comes hats here that on every says person. it, the yeah. logo. Yeah. Or just that picture of you on the podcast. It's like they went to, yeah. That one, that one, right? It's like this. That oh. picture of you, your icon, it's like this, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. there's one. It should one. be a picture of that on a hat and you can just yeah. put it right here. <laughs> It's like when camera. someone goes to Disneyland or something and they have like a, or a baseball game, they got like a pennant, they got maybe we'll have oh, to start, yeah. maybe Hang we'll start making up. some hot dogs or something like that. You like, should plaster these walls with all your swag <laughs> and say available. And yeah, that's, you shout it out in the middle of the podcast. Hey, don't forget to buy some merch. It's linked below. It's linked here. Wow. It's already cooking here. It's already, uh, <laughs> before I forget though, one thing I want to say, now that you've given me the backstory of the movie, I'm just... I'll say it for you. It's like, wow, like that was your feature debut as a director. Yeah. I mean, you've directed short films and yeah. things of that nature, but I mean, this is, this is, I mean, this is the pinnacle for anyone that wants to make movies as a feature, right? Like, sure. Yeah. Um, to be able to go for your next project, whatever that may be and be like, this was my debut feature. This is what we did. And this is what we were working with. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. we got you this. Sure. So, I mean, man, you've, I can't wait to see what's going to be coming next from you. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I just finished directing another feature called Christmas Gamble. Oh, wow. Which uh, probably by the time this comes out, we'll have like a first cut done because I'm working on it right now. 
So uh, that's kind of like Uncut Gems meets Bad Santa type of movie. So um, both are great movies. Yeah. I, well, we'll see. Again, we'll see how it turns out. <laughs> There's an opportunity that I had Scott, uh, who's the lead of Rebroken, is the lead in this one too, and he's the same. Got he got the money and uh, producing it with with me and Kip and me directing and a, a really talented writer named Jerry. Uh, 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 you'll have to help me uh, in the cut. I can't remember how to pronounce his name correctly, but you'll put it maybe right here. Okay. Um, but um, he is f- super talented uh, writer, really wrote a great script. So um, yeah, so that's where I'm at so, now. So it really shows the importance of like finding your tribe and finding your people you work well with. Yeah. Because, I mean, we've seen it through so many different groups. I mean, Adam Sandler's group and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Will Ferrell's group. And, you know, th- there's so many different groups but it seems like once they find something that works they just keep making stuff together that seems yeah. like what you got going on too which is incredible yeah it's cool it's cool to have that sort of group of people for yeah. sure and that's all about what like getting into creative stuff is right mm-hmm. it's it's a team effort truthfully yeah. like it's my name at the director thing but that doesn't mean anything really i mean it's 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 a it's a collection of people mm-hmm. working together and i'm just there to make sure that we're all working towards the same thing to play your position yeah like, yeah to- totally. I can't yeah. do it. I truthfully cannot make Rebroken without uh, DP Nate Stifler and um, Sam, our gaffer, who brought all of his equipment um, in a very for a very reasonable rate for us, which mm. was out of this world. And the actors who came and were ready to go mm-hmm. on a seven-day shoot. And Scott, who's producing and acting and bringing the money, and Kip and... And uh, Ryan, our, our production coordinator, mm-hmm. and Chelsea, our, our co-producer, line producer person, and our, our Casey, our production designer, mm. knocked it out of the park for no money. Wow. Like, all these creative people, all these talented people are, like, trusting that I'll be able to, like, once the movie's done shooting and I'm in post and working on it and they're moving on to the next stuff, it's at that point, it is mine and the produ- other producer's responsibility to make it as good as possible for those people who sacrificed mm. and lended their creative skill to make the movie happen. That is truthfully the only way anything like this happens. Even on the big budget stuff, man, it's you get a little jaded at that point because everybody's getting paid a decent rate. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're all talented, creative people. And, you know, the director gets all the credit and the producer gets all the credit and the star gets all the credit. Sure. All talented, hyper talented people. But like the, the crew that like makes it happen are just as talented and and passionate about what they're doing. Hmm. It's like, it's just so cool. That's like the best, I'm I'm not a swearer, but that's the best effing part of the whole thing Hmm. is just seeing how creative people can be under the constraints of whatever the movie is, because every movie has its constraints. For sure, we're broken. Now, how much in the edit? Are you editing it yourself? A lot of this, or you? How much in the editing process do you take in this Rebroken or any of these films you're working? Yeah, on? so Rebroken, Kip, the producer, the writer, producer, wrote, cut the first uh, pass, mm-hmm. and then him and I worked together to sort gotcha. of refine and cut, and I sort of got my cut, and from there we just sort of finished it off. Uh, Christmas Gamble, which will be, which will be coming out later, hopefully by Christmas of 2023. Yeah, <laughs> uh, is I'm cutting it right now. I'm doing all the editing. Okay. Uh, and there's a lot to do. Uh, there's a lot to do. I hate cutting. <laughs> I hate. I love editing, but I hate editing in first assembly because it, I want to vomit every single time I watch it. It's like, did we really shoot this? Did am I that stupid? 
<laughs> like that's what I, t- I tell myself that every time. I'm like, man, am I that stupid? Did I not get that shot the way I wanted it? Now I have to work with this pukey footage, and like, I just want to throw up every time. It's terrible. Like I have like half a cut of every scene done because I just got to a point where I'm just like, ah, it's too much pain. I have to stop. It's just the. Uh, but then you're gonna get it, and then it's gonna, yeah, then no. it's gonna be like, oh, okay, yeah, we. I'm got not it. saying it's gonna be a bad movie. It's gonna be a great movie. Yeah, I know it is from all the stuff we have. And the actors are phenomenal, but like, uh, um, just like that sort of idea of like, nothing's perfect at the beginning, like kind of what we talked about. Nothing's yeah. perfect at the beginning. You work and you work and you work and you work and you work until you get to a point where it's like, wow, it's rebroken. Yeah. Like the first cut of rebroken, I was like, oh man, we're in trouble. And, uh-huh. then, and then it just got to a point where like, oh, we did, we worked it. We did a great job and we, all the pits come together. And I'm telling you when that happens, it's like, you want to cry. It's like magic. It's like. All those things you thought about in pre-production, on like we did on Rebroken, when we're sitting in there and we're sitting in the colorist's office, because we, we were Nate, our DP, hooked up a contact with our with our colorist, uh, Dan Edwards, I believe is his last name, Dan. Uh, crushed it, and uh, when he put up like a collage of all the shots of the movie, and they all had like the color that I was like imagining from the very beginning. I got emotional. I'm not. I'm not kidding. Like I mm. thought about all of these colors and how they would look together in like a palette, and how like this one color shift at the end, when he's sort of, you know, going into a different space, happens. And I was like, whoa, man, it worked. It worked. All that planning finally worked, and that's like that was like the final brush stroke. Mm. It was like the last, the last uh, measure of of an orchestral. Piece. Which is extremely pivotal. Like, yeah, it was. Without giving anything away. Like, it is, no. Yeah, I see what you're... Yeah, that was... So it was just yeah. awesome. Just awesome. Cool yeah. experience. And you also acted in it. Yeah, I did. So what was, well, so now that I know that you were under a seven-day time constraint, like... Because you know directors, and you're an actor yourself, so I mean, doing it, but it's like you had a lot of things going on, plus <laughs> yeah. you had your acting. Can, was that hard to balance? To try to do that too. Yeah, I mean, I think I really took on a lot of that Playhouse West stuff uh, mm. beforehand to make sure that when I was there, I was just ready. No. You know, that's sort of you know what I'm talking about. You work it all out way ahead of time. Be prepared. Do your journaling, even for a small part like I had. Um, and I was ready so that when like we were rolling on my shots, I was ready. You know, so I. But it was still. That being said, I'm not kidding. I'm so if this is the camera and there's my eye line, the monitor for me to watch was at my feet. And so like I would do my bit and then I'd be listening to people, knowing that I was gonna cut to them to see their lines, watch them on the monitor, <laughs> take a moment. It was almost like a first read. So if anybody's watching who's like Playhouse West familiar, it was like a first read. You know, you get the script, yeah, you listen. And then you look down and you kind of grab your line and you come up, right? And you sort of react. So you're doing this while you're doing your part. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So like the monitor to watch other people where it was at my feet. Wow. Or watch myself, right? So I'm watching them reacting and then I'm like responding and like seeing it was, it was definitely a challenge. Like it makes me think like, like say like. Braveheart or something, right? Where Mel Gibson is like directing and acting in like one of the most complicated scenes where it's like a fight scene. Like, how do you, how, how do you do that? 
And I'm like, oh, because they got money and he, he's got somebody who's helping him. They got tons of people helping him, I'm sure. But, but look, man, look what you can do. I mean, what an amazing experience like, to do that at that level with not having all those resources like maybe yeah. like a Mel Gibson. I mean, dude, that's, that's, that's awesome. It was hard. Yeah, yeah was hard. I bet it was. It was and, a challenge. For sure, yeah. You mentioned Playhouse West. That's where you and I met. Yep. Um, and I want to take it back. Yeah, let's I do it. I want to take it back. And I remember it was the... Is this where we do a wobbly? Yeah. <laughs> where this part wasn't filmed. I was sitting... You and I... It was at a 120. Um, and I'm trying to think. Was it the love one? It might have been the love one. Yeah. Yeah. And you were like behind me. I was in front. And like we were like one of the two of the first two to get there, and we were talking, and mm -hmm. we knew each other, but like I didn't know too much about you. And like you know, I'm talking, getting your backstory, and you're you're talking like, oh yeah, I know I've been doing film and like this, this, this. I was like 15 years, whatever it was, and I'm like, oh man, Kenny's done a lot of stuff. And then I went and I checked out your uh, uh, your reels and all that stuff. I'm like, man, Kenny's been in a lot of movies. <laughs> and, <it's just> like, <laughs> and then I see. Oh, Zoom. It was called Zoom. Yeah. Kitty was like on a show for a long, lot of episodes. So take me through, man. Take me through your, your story. Like, we're, getting, we're getting into the early days. The early days. You're, like, is there stuff before the Zoom? Beginnings. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. What's the beginning beginning? So, oh man. So the earliest memory I have of being on stage anywhere, I think I was like six. And my, I don't know what it was. My parents put me in one of those like talent search, like, competitions or like i don't know something like that mm -hmm. and i remember talking about this suspenders i was wearing when i was like six years old on stage and making the audience laugh and i thought it was the most hysterical thing i felt super confident about my six-year-old suspenders <laughs> um but then like my real acting stuff started in middle school so mm -hmm. middle school in quincy massachusetts uh there was like an acting class that essentially took over my all three years of my acting, my middle school time. Still remember my acting coach, Miss Deborah Ali. Still remember my choir coach, Miss Dan Caru Mr. Dan Caruso. And uh, it was like an acting school, basically, that I was also going to middle school at. It was crazy. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know what it was, but the drama program took over the school for three years while I was wow. there. And it was like incredible training to almost like prep me for the audition of Zoom which was basically, for anybody who doesn't know Zoom, Zoom was like a variety show for kids, mm -hmm. right? It was on PBS and kids from all over the country would send in their ideas for like games and like plays and recipes and things. And us kids on the show would act them out or, you know, mm -hmm. do them on the show. And so when I went to that audition, my, my drama teacher was like, oh, there's this audition in Boston, you should go. And so I was like, primed i had I, I was three years into an acting school that basically took up all of my time and i was ready to audition essentially i was mm. so comfortable so open so willing yeah. to just be me that uh you know they auditioned like five thousand kids or whatever wow and i was one of the five picked for zoom like season two of the reboot of zoom five of you yeah out Six, of five thousand so season one they had seven kids and then they carried two kids over to sort of make that connected tissue for the audience. And then there was five new kids. So I was like one of five kids out of 5,000. Wow. And I, I credit it completely to being just, 
I don't know if you've read uh, McConaughey's book, Green Lights. Absolutely. So he has this thing in there. It's like, he ha I'm paraphrasing, but he says, I have this theory that the universe is conspiring in my, fa in my favor. There's some quote like that somewhere mm. in the middle of the book. I truthfully think something similar is happening to me. Like I got that three years of nothing but improv, plays, acting, singing, performance stuff from middle school to audition for Zoom to understand that that is exactly what I want to be doing with my life. It was crazy. And it wasn't even planned with middle school, right? You just said no. like kind of the drama school. It's not like you went, I'm going to a no. drum. No, yeah. it took over just coincidentally. Yeah. And, and honestly, like the drama program when I auditioned was a part of the school. It was something, you know, uh, something that kids could do. But it was literally like the, we were in the drama class for three years. It was probably like totally not good for my education. But <laughs> in the drama class room, learning everything where all the other kids would like jump around class to class and get different teachers. We basically had two teachers. My drama teacher who taught us all of English stuff and another teacher who taught us the math stuff. So it was like we were in an acting school that was also teaching us the regular school stuff. So that doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> and we also got a deal with like local cable channel to like make our own TV show that they broadcast while I was in that acting, acting school, middle school. So like it, I, I learned how to act. I learned how to improv. We did like whose line is it anyway style improv classes in that. We had a cable network channel that we uh, show that we were putting together uh, at the same time. And then that audition came up right as I finished middle school. And I did it and I booked, I booked it. And yeah, and then I was on Zoom for two seasons for 40, uh, 80 episodes of Zoom. Where was that filmed? In Boston, Mass. Uh, oh, two, one, three, four. <laughs> People from Zoom would know that. That's the theme song. <laughs> I saw the clip. Uh, I think you posted it, but it's like flubba wubba wubba wubba. Yeah, or whatever. Dude, that was amazing. I'm just yeah, like, what is Abby Dubby is the language of Zoom. Abby Dubby. Yeah. Okay. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. You put a UB sound before every vowel sound that you hear. Oh. So if this is the Sam Dever podcast, it would be the sub M dub of upper pubod cubas. Dude, that really stuck with you. You did that very well. Like, yeah, we come and have a have a tiber of our combo verb or stubby shabun. I've been up a bobby double bobby. Vubber rubber lubby. Vubber rubber lubby. That's totally going to be a pro book. Yeah, you can you can subtitle that post. I'll tell you what I said. So, okay, so you do the Zoom. Yeah. That's out. And sorry, I just spit everywhere. That's okay. I caught it in my drink. Okay. What happens after then? Yeah, so... Because um, so you're still on the East Coast, right? Yeah, still on the East Coast. Went to high school on the East Coast, and I was doing acting and, um, you know, like high school plays and things like that. And then I got, you know, berated for being in high school. You get, like, you get made fun of for being, doing anything, performance stuff. Mm -hmm. And that kind of hit me a little bit, <clears throat> like, in my later high school years. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to do acting for a little bit. It kind of knocked me down mm. a peg or two. But I needed it. I needed that chip on my shoulder for sure that I carried to LA because, uh, and again, universe conspiring in my favor, right? Taking advantage of opportunities. I was in high school, never thought I would do acting again or like not sure if I, what I was going to do. Um, I got a job at Walmart selling DVDs in the electronics department. So I got major discounts. So I bought tons of DVDs, started watching behind the scenes stuff, started getting really into like 
filmmaking and making and things. Where, where is this at? Walmart? In Massachusetts. In Massachusetts. Yeah. In Massachusetts. My, my aunt realizes that. She was so kind. She bought me my first camcorder, a Sony Handycam camcorder uh, with a wide angle lens. It's awesome. And, uh, and then uh, somebody from the Art Institute came and spoke at my high school. And they said, well, if you ever have any interest in being like making movies and stuff, we have a great like film and video production thing. You know, it's a trade school. We don't require a lot of like, I wasn't a smart, I was smart, but I wasn't like book smart in high school. You know, we don't require like, it wasn't like a crazy like GPA requiring thing. So I applied, saw the opportunity, applied, got in, applied for LA. As soon as I graduated, I shipped out to LA. Wow. I went to the Art Institute in Santa Monica. So that really put me in a position to start learning the, you know, film and video production side of things. And again, you know, you can say what you want about film school. And I can, I won't talk about how that experience went. It was kind of like, you know, just what you might imagine. Helpful and not helpful all mm -hmm. at the same time. But it provided an opportunity for me to be in L.A., and to like chase after the thing that I knew I wanted, which was now because of watching a lot of DVD behind the scenes, making movies. And I had made like a bunch of short films with my little camera beforehand. Didn't get accepted to NYU. Went to the Art Institute here in LA. So there's an opportunity for sure. When I would think going there back then would probably be, I, I could be completely wrong, but maybe more advantageous than now. Because now we have the internet, we have YouTube. There's, yeah. there's a lot of educational resources for people who want to learn film. Or back then, there really wasn't that. No, yeah. Right? And yeah. it was a weird time, too, because we were transitioning. It was a transition period in video. So, like, when I went to the film, to Art Institute, we were shooting on, like, the first class we had were on VHS cameras. Wow. And editing from VHS tech to VHS tech, which was something I did when I was a kid because I was really into it. And so, um, but it was transitioning. You remember that like Canon camera that had like a red frame on it? Ashton Kutcher used it and like punked Oh, it. okay, yeah, yeah, it yeah. It was yeah. Like a Canon A24 oh, or yeah, whatever yeah, yeah, the heck yeah. it was called. Yeah. So it was like transitioning from like Super 8 cam, Super 8 tapes, like those mini tapes, mini DV tapes, not Super 8, mini DV tapes, to like what we now know as like digital. So it was going through a transition period. So essentially everything I learned became obsolete like before I graduated. Hmm. But I didn't graduate. I dropped out. We'll get to that. But um, it it didn't, it like became useless, right? That all that knowledge of like transferring DV tapes to like digital the only, and we were editing on Final Cut 7, which, you know, fine. But now look at all the programs you have. I mean, I just edited all of rebroken and uh now on christmas gamble and davinci resolve which is like a free program so mm. it's like that idea of where things came even in just the time the two and a half years i was at that school changed halfway through so it was essentially like what what, what am i doing now like mm. and i have to learn everything all over again right. and i'm done essentially so there's definitely another opportunity to like figure out okay well how am i gonna make things on my own and I didn't for a while because I was just like, oh, there's nothing, nothing of the quality that I want to try to do right now coming mm -hmm. out of school. But, you know, there's another story or a nugget that I'm ready. I'm ready to answer when you start asking. <laughs> so you drop out. Yeah. Now what happens? <laughs> well, I didn't like, so I knew 
I, I was, again, it was, I think I had, but before I realized it was a thing, I had it embedded in me that I'd rather be stressed than depressed, right? So I was going to school. I was busing tables at On the Border Tex-Mex restaurant. And I was, and I, I randomly put up my Walmart resume up on Sony Pictures website for like an internship. No movie experience. The next day, I got a call from a producer's office saying, yeah, just come on in. So I got an internship within three days from Sony. Again, green light, as McConaughey would yeah, say. Yeah, green light. Yeah. So I went there, got it, started working at a producer named Paul Schiff's office. He produced like My Cousin Vinny and Made in Manhattan, like big time movies, had a first look deal at Sony. I was working out of the Fred Astaire building, all of a sudden going from busing tables at, and going to the Art Institute, walking onto the Sony lot every single day. Major opportunity, major opportunity. So I was at his office for six months, reading scripts and doing coverage and meeting some great people. Uh, Robin Ross, who I have to shout out because she helped me tremendously through that internship. She was she is now working, I think, at E! doing interviews. Mm. Super awesome person. Hi, Robin. Haven't talked to you in like a long time. Got to catch up soon. Um, I'll tell her to watch. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then so she uh, and I... Uh, she became Paul Schiff's assistant, hmm. and uh, and then he's, he was producing this movie called Date Movie, which was a spoof of romantic comedies. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the two directors, Aaron Seltzer and Jason Friedberg, came into the office once, and then I said to Paul, "Hey, hey, Paul, is it all right if I ask them if they needed an assistant for this movie? Is it okay if I like interview to be their assistant so I can work on the movie set?" And uh, again, taking advantage of an opportunity. And he said, yeah, absolutely. You've been here six months. You deserve it. Do it. And so I did. And I'll never forget the interview process with those guys ever because um, it was, we went, they, they went into a conference room at Paul's office, sat down in there. I said, hey guys, I'd love to be your assistant on this movie. And they go, oh, uh, we've never had an assistant before. What would an assistant do for us? Well, and I didn't know. So I was just like, uh, well, you know, I'll you know, manage your man meetings throughout product pre-production and be there for you in production for whatever you need and, you know, uh, whatever you need. They, they, two weeks later, they call me and they say, well, we found somebody we like better than you. And I was like, yeah, no problem. That's okay. And they're like, no, no, man, we're just fucking with you. <laughs> you got the job. You got it. And then I, so I got to be their assistant wow. on like $20 million movie. That was my first like pro movie gig was their assistant on date movie, which was truthfully, I dropped out of school. I had like two weeks left to graduate, dropped out. You dropped out two weeks before graduate. Yeah. Were you set to graduate? Like you would have yeah, graduated? Yeah, well, it was maybe like more, probably more like a month, right? Month. I had like a month left of like a two and a half year program. So <laughs> the very end. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could have got my associate's degree in film and television <laughs> production, dropped out, took the gig because it started like in a week. And so then I worked with them and that was literally the beginning of like a 10 year career with those guys. Wow. So I worked on every single one of their movies. That was the first thing they directed. And I worked all the way up until 2015 with them as they're like, uh, you know, getting progressively more responsibility all the way up on until a movie called super fast, which was a spoof of fast and furious franchise. Mm. So those guys, I cannot speak enough about how great of family men they are. They're, they are family guys uh, through and through. They love their families and they carry that sort of respect 
for everybody on the crew into the filmmaking process. And it, them and the first AD, Hal Olofsson, shout out to Hal, who's now a producer at Netflix, um, taught me how to be the person you need to be on movie sets. And I say it all the time. I wish I was in real life the person I am on movie sets because the person I am on movie sets uh, is a much better person responsibility-wise than I am in real life. Like I tr truthfully say, man, I, if I could only be as productive, non-procrastinating, go-getter, happy, pleasant, ready to go do anything type of person all the time in real life as I am on movie sets, I would be Steven Spielberg. Like those guys inspired me and still inspire me about how you treat people and how you respect people and how you run a movie set. And I cannot thank them enough for how much of an opportunity they gave me, like truthfully. Like they are, they're like my, they're like my older brothers and I, I cherish that opportunity that I took advantage of. Because by the time I was done with them, I was their co-producer and VFX supervisor. So I had like gone from there, just their one-time assistant to being wow. a producer on a couple of their movies, so. As you're telling me the story, um, to have that insight, uh, you're, you're so close to graduating this program, because even there's a lot of people out there, but well, I'm this close, I might as well do it. But to have that insight, to recognize that, well, this is the whole reason I'm going to this school is to get opportunities like this right here. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. <laughs> and when you got it, I think it's a phenomenal example of like, Sometimes you don't know how the opportunity is going to come, mm -hmm. when it's going to come, but when it does, you got to be willing to strike. Because yeah. what if you would have said, ah, sorry guys, I can't, you know. I, I honestly don't know if I'd be here talking to you. Right. I don't know if I'd be here talking to you. Seriously. It's all connected so much that I would not, I would not be in LA. I would probably not be working in movies. I don't know what I would be doing. I really don't. I don't know where I would be if I mm. didn't take that opportunity. If I didn't see the opportunity, then just take it. And again, I don't know if I did that consciously, if I'm being completely honest. I think I was in a blissful ignorance of being 19 years old. And I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to do this. And just, just, just quit. Like, I honestly, I think I quit school. And I was just like, yeah, I'm going to do this instead. This seems like way more fun. <laughs> I think that's really, but like, but having the, the sort of, not knowing I was having the balls to do that, mm. but still doing it, I think is some, it, if you can, if you can glom any knowledge from that, it is when a, when an opportunity that points you in the direction of what you want to do comes, it may feel risky, but you have to take it and you'll make it work. Um, it's a quote that we use in, in uh, Playhouse West and uh, uh, Grayson, Grayson says it all the time. Uh, leap and the net will appear, right? Mm. So, and I think we use it in Playhouse West a lot mm -hmm. too. I think it's in, it might be in a William Esper book mm. about. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, I've, I've definitely heard it, yeah. Um, um, I took that leap and I didn't, I think, didn't care about what the percussion, repercussions were, but the net appeared for me, which was that career with those guys. So, take the up. When you see an opportunity, Know that it's put there for a reason, right? God put it there for a reason. Right. Like it's part of the plan. Yeah, so. 100%.
Yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. Everything, everything is leading to the next thing. And to the, the Alchemist is one of my favorite books mm-hmm. because you know the, he gets sent on this journey and he, he he knows what he wants, but he has to go through all these things. Yeah. To get there and sometimes he's questioning like why am i doing this but then like after it's over oh i get it like yeah. this is why i was it's sent that forrest gump thing right ah uh, just floating along like a feather and his whole life is just him sort of going mm. not really he doesn't have that he doesn't that's why that movie's so good to me at least he doesn't have that that sort of thing inside him that says don't do that right he just kind of goes yeah he so just kind of does with, with whatever's going on yeah yeah exactly so if you can just like, don't listen to that thing that's telling you, wait, be afraid, stop, don't do that. Like, if you can let go of that thing that would have restricted Forrest Gump, <laughs> then you'll be fine. <laughs> Just go. You don't have to worry. It'll all happen for the way it's supposed to happen. For, for some reason, I'm thinking of the scene where he's been running forever. How long he goes, need this stuff. I think I'll go home now. Yeah, right. And then turns and walks <laughs> And he was back. done and he never ran again. And like, all those people are like, well, what do we do? <laughs> or when him and uh, Lieutenant Dan become uh, uh, the the fishermen. Mm-hmm. And they yeah, make yeah. a ton of money. Like, yeah, it is yeah. kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't, sub- he just unconsciously becomes a leader, right? He like unconsciously becomes a leader of all these people who are running. Yeah, they have no idea why he's doing it, but they follow him because he's doing something that it seems like is important to him. Like that's the that's the trait of a leader, right? People follow people who have drive and vision and just do things. And he's fully there. He's fully committed, committed. to it. Yeah, completely committed. And that reveal at the end when he finds out, you know, he was still there in that moment, mm. appreciating how beautiful everything was along the journey. Mm. When he tells Jenny, you know, you were there with me the whole time. And I mm. looked at this lake when I couldn't tell where the sky began and the lake began, the sky ended and the lake began, he's telling her that he's in that moment, on the journey. The beauty is in the journey. And the beauty is what he saw in her, that it doesn't, you know, and all this, what is perceived as chaos and unknown things, there's, you have to journey on that path. And the journey is the reward. Mm. That's the, that's what makes Forrest Gump so good. I don't know, but I, I'm sure everybody knows that. But I got goosebumps during that. Man, that is such a good movie. It's so it's great. Good. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Rewatch it, everybody. Jeez, <laughs> rewatch that and rewatch Shawshank Redemption over, oh. and, over and over and over again. <laughs> oh man, do I, well now now where you really got me. Well, dude, the part in Forrest Gump where he's got the braces and he runs and yeah, they just break shatters. off yeah. and like Redemption. Yeah, and then Shawshank Redemption. Jeez, like that. There's so many. So there's so many great films. Do that you was the same year, 1994. That was the same year, 1993, 94, 94 Oscars. Uh, Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, Shawshank oh. Redemption. <laughs> right? Am I wrong? I think I'm right. I have no idea, I but it sounds right. It was a crazy year. Crazy good year. Crazy good. Pulp year. Fiction. That's another one, man. I just. Any, well, anything Tarantino makes, I pretty much, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty yeah. much on board. Kill Bill with. was a cru- crucial filmmaking change for me, for sure. Yeah. So what? what okay. So Kill Bill's a movie. What? What? What movies have inspired you the most, or is there a certain director you look up to, or certain style? That's uh, difficult uh, because I, 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 I'm like a sponge for visual, the visual storytelling side of things. Like I, I just want to. I, I suck everything in. I think I suck everything in and like 
don't realize how much I'm taking in. There's this game right now that everybody's playing. It's like a movie version of Wordle called Framed. Mm-hmm. And I like get it, the correct answer on the first like one or two guesses all the time. I don't realize how much like visual content I've sucked into my brain. But uh, yeah, Steven Spielberg is always uh, mm. is a crazy influence on me. Like Hook is a really big time movie for me. Oh, great movie! It's just uh, the fan- the idea of grounding something that's fantasy based in reality has stuck with me my entire life. I love that idea of. Something we know to be true completely, 100% factual about the world and the way we perceive it, and then infusing some sort of magic thing into that to justify that real world thing is the type of movies I love to make. I would love to make. Um, Like Hook is like that. Like Hook is grounded in reality, but it infuses that sort of Peter Pan stuff into a real thing, right? It's not just Peter Pan and Neverland. It's like this guy goes back to the real world for a while and he has this real life and it infuses all this magic into it. It's, I love that stuff, man. And um, Steven Soderbergh is a big time influence for me because of how he can shift from, from uh, budget and format and still make a good movie. And uh, yeah, Quentin Tarantino is a big time influence for me too. So yeah. And, and Robert Zemeckis, obviously. Mm. You got me. You are the pan, like that. You know that part. Yeah. Robin Williams was so good. Oh, in that, there man. you are, Peter. That oh, that part where they all start believing in him. Come and on. that part where he gets like off the ground and flies and yeah, they're so good, man. Uh-huh. So good. Yeah. He was such a great actor. Yeah, he was great. And I forgot. So Steven Spielberg did Hook. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah. He God, what Hook. hasn't that man done? <laughs> He's done everything, man. He's done everything. So as far as sticking into the realm of film, I mean, you say you just made another movie you're directing like what do you just want to keep directing features do you want obviously you're an actor too like are you just open to whatever's gonna happen like or do you have a specific trajectory you're trying to go i mean uh, i'm a i'm a director and an actor Mm -hmm. right so i've i've definitely been ignoring my acting side of things for sure like uh, i've been in all the I'm so thankful for the opportunities again that i've had and i've been able to take advantage of uh, working alongside kip um, and uh, all the movies that we've worked on in a producing sense. But doing that, I've had no time to really focus on my acting thing. It's all sort of a means to an end for me. I do producing because I want to direct and act. And I'm like getting the directing opportunities. I need to start producing with an eye for getting the acting opportunities. I don't know if I'm a leading man type. I'm really short and I have a receding hairline. So we'll see how that goes. But I'm definitely like trying to find those sort of opportunities where I get a nice chunky role in the acting side of things too. And I want to, I want to flex those uh, capabilities of doing producing, directing and acting as much as I can yeah. and, and a, in a significant role, not like just a guy who's a buddy or something, you know, trying to find those acting opportunities and features. But, well, and what you did in Rebroke, I mean, dude, that was really great work. Yeah. I felt acting. good about that. Yeah. That was really good. Especially, you know, as, an intense yeah. setting. There's a you grief, will. grief counseling. Grief. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So that Ronnie, I think I played mm-hmm. Ronnie. Ronnie is dealing with some grief, uh, and again, it's it's mo- it's layered for sure, because it's not you know. I don't want to give anything away, but it's not yeah. necessarily Ronnie's grief. I think I told you this once. Uh, you have a comedy reel too, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The part in your comedy reel. <laughs> Where the coffee gets knocked up. And you oh, know, yeah, that I'm, was super fast. I'm not joking. 
I laughed out loud and rewatched <laughs> it over and because I think it was one of those days. It was during like shutdown, shutdown where we were, you know, where we were all just sharing everything because yeah. we had nothing else to do. Like, yeah. if you've never we seen literally this from me, here's internet. this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you had posted. Our, I remember it was like we subscribed to each other's YouTube channels, mm -hmm. and I went to your YouTube channel and I, I, I check out. Like, oh, okay, that's good, that's good. And then I go, oh, comedy reel. Let me check this, which was hilarious. But dude, that part with the coffee and soup. It just, it just, I don't know, man. It was just so great. So great. I I, I'm was, like, genius. Yeah. <laughs> genius. I think it was like the contradictory, like, size proportions between that guy who was like basically a spoof of The Rock and me with my weird mustache getting splashed in the face with urine or whatever it was. What was it? Oh, it was coffee. 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 And you're right. just the, your reaction yeah. to the coffee. He's like, I don't want there, whatever he does, and it just goes in your face. Yeah. How many takes did you have to do of that? A one. That's yeah. all you needed. I bet yeah. the director. Yep, got it. No, it was Aaron and Jason. I mean, <laughs> they love to put me in the movie in the most awkward. Like I would always volunteer for like the tests of things and test makeup things. Mm -hmm. I have this great picture of me in a test um, uh, makeup prosthetic that goes all the way up my back, mm -hmm. which is a fake butt crack that goes all the way up to the middle of my back. Oh my gosh! As a joke from disaster movie or something. I was always the test dummy. So they loved putting me in those scenarios where I was getting splashed or fall or something ridiculous. So it was like, a, and I do a stunt in that too. Like I wow. fall down backwards or whatever, but yeah, one take, that's all it took. What was the one where you're uh, uh, battling like the Spartans on the beach? Yeah, that was Meet the Spartans. That was Meet the Spartans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. of 300, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> we shot that in New Orleans in the summer. It was... Hot. That was in New Orleans? Yeah, we shot it in New Orleans in 2007. I remember because I got the first iPhone that year. Oh. And I brought it to set and I was doing like iPhone magic tricks. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that was like the best time of my life. I had, I was 25 in New Orleans with way too much per diem to spend. It was the greatest time of my life. <laughs> Aaron and Jason were like, yeah, go out, have a good time. Just make sure you come back with stories. And wow. as long as I showed up to work. They were, they were, they they were so cool. They're so cool. I cannot tell you how awesome they are. I mean, I did my job. Mm -hmm. I worked, but like they were like it being in New Orleans and being young was it was such a cool experience yeah. and being just being there and being on movie sets. It was so much fun. Well, you're just learning every position of the field. You know what I mean? Yeah. So now when you're in the position you are now, where you're directing, yeah features yeah. and stuff like you you understand where a lot of people are coming from because you've been there. Yeah. You've been that guy, like whatever miscellaneous jobs I'm sure you've done over the years on set. Like I, I, I say that <clears throat> in all humility, I am so, like I said before, I'm so grateful when I worked on all those movies for all the people on all of those crews, because I was in a position of like, I was a, the director's assistant, right? So I don't have any responsibility and I think I have like this interesting position. I'm so grateful for all those crew members who tolerated me at a young mm. age. Like I realize now how probably annoying I was. And I'm so thankful for them to just be like tolerant of me. So I could like, I tell this to people, I got my master's in filmmaking on those sets. Mm, absolutely. Aaron and Jason gave me the opportunity to learn hands-on how to be on a movie set. Like in it, it flows through my acting stuff too, like knowing the way a set works in and out.
from every position and making friends with everybody because I got to talk to everybody to arrange meetings for the mm -hmm. them, the, the directors in pre-production. So I learn how every department works and who runs it and who works right under them and who works right under them. So it was, I swear to God, it was the best education I ever could have got. Those, what was it, 2004 to 2015, 11 years with those guys. Wow. You, you dropping out of school was the best decision. It was ever. the, <laughs> don't, I mean, if you're in school and you're liking it and learning, don't drop out. But if you're, if you feel like it's the right move, you should probably do it. There's going to be, uh, I saw Kenny on the Sam Dever podcast. Yeah, he said drop out. <laughs> I don't need to be here. Why would I need to go to school? <laughs> well, and, um, I don't know. I, I just, well, I, and that's, I'm, I'm so glad. Like we went through this on the, I, I dude, I had no idea about any of that. I mean, I know you had been involved, yeah. in it, but I didn't know like the backstory. Well, yeah, it's, like I was saying, like the, <clears throat> and we can connect the kip uh, to the now too. Yeah, yeah, connect. That. But like every opportunity that I took advantage of led me literally to talking to you. Talk seriously, I, I cannot going through before I got here. I went through just sort of mm -hmm. like we briefly talked about like we're gonna do this, mm -hmm. we're gonna have a podcast mm -hmm. together. Just come and have your story prepared. And I went through old journals, started thinking about my experience. I'm not kidding. From from that acting school in middle school to right now, every single choice and opportunity is connected. Hmm. And the way that it connects is so I worked <clears throat> I worked on Zoom. 20 years after Zoom, we had a, it was right during the, the height of the pandemic and we were on Zoom, using Zoom to communicate with each other, the video program to communicate with each other. So Zoom had a 20 year reunion on Zoom, right? Oh. <laughs> and so I had to communicate with one of the old producers. His name is Jim Johnston. And he was one of the producers on Zoom, the TV show from 1999, 2000. We went to his house. We had a reunion via Zoom, and he said, uh, hey, uh, we're doing a movie, and I need some, you know, PAs and some extras. Do you want to come do that? I said, yeah, absolutely. I'll do that, 100%. I get to the set. He says, hey, uh, or no, just before I get to set, he goes, hey, we actually uh, are short in our AD department. Do you have any AD experience? I said, yeah, sure, I could do it. He goes, um, can you be a second, second AD? I said, yeah, totally. I'll knock it out of the park. No problem. So I became the second, second AD and an extra. Get to set. They're like, uh, you're a really great extra. You've got acting experience. We're going to give you a small part, one line. I said, no problem. I'll do second, second, and I'll do my one line. Then the director's like, oh, actually, I'm going to give you four lines, and you're going to be in a scene with Ed Bagley Jr. I said, cool, no problem. Did my four lines in a scene with Ed Begley Jr. Did my second, second AD. On the last day, he goes, we're doing interview style. I want your character to have an interview portion because it was so, he's so good. I said, okay, no problem. Kip was one of the producers of that movie. So because of a reunion from Zoom, a 20-year reunion with Zoom, I met Kip, who is now my producing partner on all the movies I worked on in the last two years, all 12 of them. And so the reason I met Kip was because of Zoom. And I would not have been here talking to you about Rebroken and Christmas Gamble 
if I didn't meet Kip, if I didn't go to that Zoom reunion, if I didn't talk to Jim, who was a producer on Zoom, about that movie, if I didn't audition for that Zoom back when I was a kid, and if I wasn't primed to do that Zoom audition from those middle school acting classes. It is, it is absolutely insane how if you're ready to go on a journey in this stupid business and you're willing to accept all the opportunities that are given to you and see them as opportunities and show up. An opportunity is just an open door. You have to walk through it. You have to do the work and do, work hard and show up early and do more than you're supposed to do and offer more than you're supposed to and say yes to everything within your moral boundaries uh, with that opportunity. But if you can take advantage of every opportunity, it will connect and it will be so strange how it connects. And it does. And I would not be here talking to you about these movies and doing the Sam Dever podcast if it wasn't for middle school, which is so strange to me because that was I was 10 years old, 11 years old, whatever. It's makes, strange. It makes me wonder this moment that we're both in, what catalyst is happening next? Mm -hmm. Like we're, we're to this point in the universe. Yeah. You know, similar on my own journey, like me meeting you at this point, for us to have this conversation right now, right mm -hmm. here on this day. Yeah. It's, it is crazy when you think about it. Man, one thing I mean, I really admire about you as you're telling me all this, it's like, man, you, you just, you're willing to show up like and just mm -hmm. do, so many people just want things handed to them. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that's one question I was going to lead up to is, you know, for people that want to get into a position that you've earned right now like what i mean i'm i can pretty much guess probably the advice is like do the work <laughs> like yeah you know, be open to opportunities um you know these people are giving you opportunities you're like okay yeah i'll do it mm -hmm. you know because you're in the industry you want to be in yeah you know it's hard because there was um you know there was a like i told you earlier there was a a, a blissful ignorance to just doing that I, I i had i had no i had i had no shame no fear because I was so young, I didn't even realize what I was doing. So if you're starting now, I would say you have to be open to everything as a way to sort of replicate blissful ignorance. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because you have that conscience now that's telling you bills and all this stuff. And yes, that's all you have to keep up on all that stuff. And, you know, it's not easy. Even to right now, I'm struggling still now with all these opportunities. You know, I fully committed to doing this life. It's still a challenge for everybody every day, but if you if you just see every opportunity as a as a way to just learn more and do something and build on it and never know you never know who you're gonna meet, just be willing to like if you're gonna agree to do something and be take advantage of an opportunity, put your entire effort into it, a hundred percent. Show up like I said. Excuse me. Showing up early to things and being happy to be there, whether you're happy or not, leave that emotion at the door. Go in and be happy. Be there. Be present. Be ready to go. Uh, goes a, a long way. Like people underestimate the power of just being kind and being a good person and showing up for work. Like you don't deserve anything. Earn it. That's Say yes and earn it. I think that is probably, and go after it. Like I, like when I got my internship, I had Walmart on my resume. 
literally sales associate at Walmart when I put my resume up on Sony's internship program and I got a call the next day. You never know. Just go after it. Get Wolf Bodison says that all the time. Do the work. Get after it. I'm sure he said it in your podcast, which I, have. Uh, I want to yeah. watch his episode. I haven't yet. Yeah, no, Wolf. Well, yeah, what I love about Wolf, there, there's no excuse. Yeah, there is none. Yeah, you know, get it done. Get it done. That's what I was saying. Yeah, get it done. That's going too far off, but yeah, no, there's times in class where it's like it's better just to tell Wolf you didn't get it done than to start making excuses why yeah. you didn't get it yeah, done. Just, right. just okay. I'm sorry I didn't get it done. Yeah, but, right. yeah. but when people are like, "Well, you know this," it was like, "Yeah." Yeah, yeah. Get it he done. Knows. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. No, it's a, man, you got a really inspirational story. And if, you know, and look, I, all of us creatives here, like we, we're all in the same boat in the sense of like this, this, this stuff is hard. Mm-hmm. And even when you become really good at it and get in the lane, it's still very hard. Like yeah. financially to internally, sustain and internally. And like there's so many things like yeah. that go into it. That uh, I quote him every single episode. Chris Levy uh, from Playhouse West said Mm -hmm. once in class, he's like, if there's a career path where you can go and make a good living and and you're you're not like 110% into this, he's like, go do that. Yeah, right. (laughs) Because you're going to be a lot happier (laughs) probably. But if you love it, though, and it's what you really want to do, that's what it. I mean, I think you just have to love it. I think that's really what it is, you know. I think it's a I think it's a sick obsession at this point too. I don't I can't do anything else and I do love it. I know I do because I'm still doing it. But it's like sometimes even even now like it doesn't go away that idea of man, am I supposed to be doing this? Am I mm. even good at what am I doing? Am I doing this? Am I I'm not good enough for anything. Any of this. I don't deserve any of this. You know, I think that never goes away. But I think that helps you understand that you care about it. If you didn't doubt it, like, and if you weren't worried about not doing a good enough job, it's like, do you, then you maybe, then maybe you don't give a crap. Mm -hmm. I'm consistently disappointed in myself when it comes to my work, which means I'm always, again, that chip on my shoulder from getting teased in high school, I think. That sort of idea that I'm not good enough. I, I don't know. I just, I use it. It might be. I might have to go through psycho, some psychologist, some uh, shrink sessions for after this for a while, but to get it really cleared <laughs> out once I succeed in all my goals. But um, but I use it as a way to sort of like say, you know, if I'm not if I don't care about it anymore, and I'm not slightly disappointed in not being exactly how I want, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna push harder on the next one and do mm-hmm. even better and keep going and just keep doing that sort of self doubt i don't think it ever really truly goes away no matter how successful you become you think that's imposter syndrome or what do you think oh yeah it's a version of that for sure Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely but i think it's always there because it's that sort of that remember we talked about like having that ignorant Mm -hmm. uh, blissful ignorance that imposter syndrome is basically your survival instinct telling you don't do this it's dangerous Mm. It's dangerous. You are putting yourself in a risky situation. Do something safer. But right on the other side of that is an opportunity to do something you never thought you could do. So just do it. Put yourself in the fire and see how quickly you can put the fires out as opposed to like watching the fire from over over here. 
Mm. Be stressed. Don't be depressed. I heard, I love that, man. Stressed over depressed. And I, I, I don't know. And it's kind of morbid. But like I, for me, like death has been a not to go like to, to a 180 in the conversation. But no. it's like it's like death has been one of my greatest motivators as of late because I've just really. You had a brush. It. yeah yeah i got a taste i got it that's a great way to put it. it i got a taste of like how fragile we really are yeah and how easily everything can change and eventually everything will change where regardless of what happens after this at least this version of you here now is done mm-hmm. so it it's like man well why wouldn't i try to do the things i want to do yeah like why not what's the alternative you're gonna it's be unhappy <laughs> telling you at some point in your uh in the evolution of your podcast you got to pull up a monitor like rogan does you got to pull up a clip from colbert in the edit if you feel like doing that in the edit <laughs> colbert says something about how um even death is like a blessing from god right mm. because I, i'm paraphrasing him horribly but if you like if it's if if it's if not a blessing then what is it right it's an opportunity to understand how deeply you love, right? How deeply you care, how deeply, how how profound and how special this opportunity is to be alive. Mm. It, it, I look it up because I cannot remember exactly what he, what no, he says. No, I get the concept. But every time yeah. I see it, I break down in tears. It's like, it's so true. Mm. It is like, tra- like tragedy and death and trauma is is a blessing mm. it's a blessing you have to look at it as a blessing an opportunity an opportunity that you can take advantage of it's 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 a it's a gift that you can grasp a hold of and figure out what it means yeah it's so it's so good you gotta look you gotta look it up yeah well and you know i'm, I'm gonna butcher paraphrasing gary vaynerchuk yes yeah. he was saying it's again butchering no one go off and quote me on this but <laughs> Something like the odds of you being the sperm. Yeah, yeah. All that right. meets with the egg. and It's like 400 trillion to one. Being it's born some, in the United like States of America. Yeah, you have a better chance of winning the lottery like multiple times over. Right. So basically what he was saying is the fact that you made it, and not only did you make it, but you make it in a place where you have the freedom. Where you can and, make it. And you can actually make it. Yeah. And then if you, you know, you physically okay and you can see i mean dude it is mind-blowing and Mm -hmm. so that's why it's like whether you believe in destiny or you don't it's like either way it's like you got to take advantage of this Mm -hmm. (laughs) like this isn't something just to uh i'll I'll quote um uh my friend joel who said before uh um he had told me like his dad said you didn't we didn't come here to sleep on the couch Mm -hmm. meaning like do your part. Like you were given gifts, you were giving a ab- given abilities. Um, use it. Don't yeah. waste it. Yeah. And oh, shoot, now, now all these book quotes are <laughs> flashing in my head. I, I I'm right there with you. I'm quoting uh, everything in my brain. From right. the Alchemist, there's a part again butchering, <laughs> uh, where they say like you have these talents and you have these gifts, but eventually it's gonna fade. Yeah. It's going to fade. Like you may have it up here, but you physically may not be able to do it anymore. Uh, you may not have the energy. You may, you know, it's just, it's going to fade out and then you're going to fade out. Mm-hmm. So that that's really rung true with me lately too. Cause it's yeah. like, man, like if I don't at least take a stab at doing some of these things in my head, like it's just going to die. It's, it's just going to go It doesn't belong out. to you. You're a gift. 
Mm. It's uh, like uh, artwork in particular doesn't it doesn't belong to you. Like you have the gift to put it out into the world and the world is who it's for. So if you don't use it, you are not allowing other people in the world to potentially have a life-changing experience. The artwork that anybody does, that anybody feels like is inside of them, that they have to do, doesn't belong to them. It needs to be out. So it like needs to be done. Just do it. If you have an idea in your mind of a script you want to write, or if you have a short film that you want to cut, or even a TikTok video that you want to make that you think will make somebody laugh, that thing inside of you is a gift. And it's meant to be given out to everybody else. And your, what you get from it is the ability to express it. it. But that thing doesn't belong to you. Whatever you're supposed to make, it's not supposed to sit inside. You have to get it out. You have a duty. It's a responsibility. It's like a gift that's meant to be shared. Yeah. Dude, you're on fire right now. Mm. Like, dude, like... It's this I, water, man. There's like 10 <laughs> promo clips alone. Line them up. Line them up. They'll that be on my was, Instagram. Man, you just... I just... Wow. Like, what you just said, that's so freaking true, man. Because we get so obsessed with the critique or the imposter syndrome. It's yeah. like, take you at your ego. Your ego job... is the enemy. Yeah. Your job is just to go create that and put it out there and let people do what they want with it. Mm-hmm. That's it. And wow. you get the fulfillment from getting it done. Hmm. Putting it out. Yeah. Good stuff. <sighs> well, brother, man. This, we could talk for four hours. We could. We'll have to do this Should again. We? Should this be like, <laughs> this will be like the Babylon of, uh, Babylon's like what, three hours and 18 minutes? Have this you seen that like, movie? Not yet. Not yet. Gonna, <laughs> uh, it's three hours and 18 minutes. I gotta like prep my day for that. Oh, what was it, Avatar? Avatar was like three and a half yeah, hours. Yeah, crazy. Why, why are we making four hour movies now? If you're gonna do that, give me an intermission so I can pee. Yeah, and no, get a you, refill uh, on popcorn. Dude, didn't, did Dune have an intermission? No. Or did it? Dune was almost, did you see Dune? Yeah, I did. That movie was fantastic. That yeah, was just it was my beautiful. opinion. Yeah, be- beautiful is the right way to describe it. I went and saw it twice, just the, all for the cinematic, just the way they shot that. He is man. one of my favorite directors too right now. Like yeah. when you ask me about my favorite directors, dude, Prisoners, my God, Prisoners with Hugh Jackman and, and Jake Gyllenhaal. And um, man, that movie is so good. Two amazing actors right there. It's so good. I, I mean, I know people know it, but like, it doesn't get the credit it deserves. Like, it's so powerful. And all the performances are fantastic. Viola Davis, my God, she's good. She's in that too? Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. it's called Prisoners? Ter- What's the guy's name from Hustle and Flow? Ter- uh, uh, Terrence Howard. Terrence Howard's in it too. Oh my God. Watch it, man. It's so good. Jeez. And uh, she won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress, Lena Leto, and from uh, The Fighter, uh, Jennifer... Leto, Jennifer Leto. Is that with uh, Christian Bale? Was that that one? Yeah. Anyway, she's in it too. And he won the Oscar in that too, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It was good, man. I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the director of Dune. Like, Denny Villeneuve. Denny, that's how you say it, right? Denny Villeneuve. He directed sure. Dune, uh, Arrival, Prisoner, Sicario, uh, Blade Runner 2049. Blade Runner, he was, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, before we give you the last word here it's funny i always give people the last word then we end up talking more afterwards <laughs> but yeah. it's all right 
how can the people find you, follow you if they want to follow you? Again, how can they get to the movie and where all do the people need to go? Yeah, I mean, I think the easiest way, the most succinct way would just be, say, go to KennyYates.com. It's got uh, my acting stuff. It's got a link to my production company, which is just uh, Cage Entertainment. It's got a link to, and on Cage Entertainment, you can find all the movies. You can find my Instagram on there. So KennyYates.com you can find me on all things there. I like it. Organized. <laughs> One thing. One just thing. go there. One it's thing. Easy. And it's just my name. Not Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> it's all there. It's You'll all find there. It. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one quick thing. Uh, you do voiceover stuff too, right? Yeah. We didn't talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. What's, uh, tell me about that. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, that's another thing. Opportunity. It wraps up into it. This is a whole different branch. I was on fun employment for a while between movies. Mm -hmm. And uh, my girlfriend was like, hey, I, you can get this job at this place. I, I know I have a friend who uh, works at this place called SBB Talent, which was like, it's just like a predominant voiceover and on-camera commercial agency. And so I started scanning paperwork in the back room, back room in the accounting room. I And my, room, my, uh, my roommate now is the guy who works in accounting there. See, another opportunity. <laughs> uh, but um, I started scanning paperwork started making friends, became the president's assistant, president of the company. Her name's Rita Venari, incredible woman. She's so amazing, so generous, so amazing. Uh, got to be her assistant, got to be the assistant to a couple of agents there. And then started, uh, it was a sort of a transition period where I started to like wanting to make movies again before my meeting with the Zoom reunion. And so I started like doing video projects on the side while I was working there and then branched off. And then a couple of years later, I went back and said, hey, I'm doing acting again. Would you represent me for a voiceover? They happily accepted that proposal. And so, yeah, I do lots of auditions for them and uh, can't talk about it too much. But I just booked a series regular role on a Netflix animated show that's going to come out at the end of this year. So, Holy cow, man. You're on... <laughs> You're on so fire, I recorded dude. all those, and I can't talk about what the show is, but I can say that the voice director in all of my sessions was the incredible Tom Kenny. And if you know who Tom Kenny is, he is da, SpongeBob SquarePants <laughs> directed me on all of my episodes, which was an incredible opportunity and experience. And uh, he's in a band. I'm going to go watch his band play soon. Wow. Man, Kenny Yates. <laughs> I'm so stressed, bro. I'm so stressed out. I love it. <laughs> yeah. You got like 20 things to do tonight before midnight. You got to do. Um, I, did a vo I did a voiceover edition literally right before I walked out the door. I was like, oh, shit. I, just I should probably do it. Oops. Well, and so you've given us so many gems. I've really enjoyed the opportunity. Yes, to have you and have this conversation. What do you want to leave us on? Um, I don't know, man. Thanks for having me. Like, seriously, I, this has been such a cool experience talking to you. Yeah, like, likewise. I, I've been watching the podcast. I watch it. Uh, sorry, I don't listen. I watch and listen. Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate your support. Uh, I subscribe audibly as well. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, we talked about it. Just, I don't know, take advantage of the opportunities. It's a great way to, like... At the very least, it's a great way to meet new people and have cool experiences. And if you go at it that way, I guess you can't lose. You can't lose. And that's what I did. And I'm excited just to be here to talk to you because I know it's like 
I know it's meant for something for both of us as well. Because it has to be. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense for it not at this point, like 20 years into this whole journey. So we were meant to do this. Yeah. Katie we Yates. Thank you, my friend. Thanks Can't for Can't wait me. to see what you do next. And yep. everyone check out Rebroken. Check out this man's work. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the Sam Dever podcast. Be sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you watch the podcast, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at the Sam Dever podcast.